Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to this informed cast, uh, informed consent live cast. I've got here today the beautiful Evie Botello. Hello, Evie. How are you today? <laughs> I'm fine. Great to be here. Yeah. Well, um, today we are going to be talking about pharma misdeeds. And we've got a special guest today, Pierre Corey, who I had to pre record earlier today to get him to be able to uh, sneak in. Very, very busy guy, but oh my gosh, he's he's under attack. Doctors are under attack. We're seeing these attacks all over Europe, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, United States. It's really, these are the places where doctors have not been allowed to doctor, and they've been under increasing assault by really heartless bureaucrats and mindless systems of control and all that. So we want to talk about that today. And to do that, we're going to set the stage. We're going to talk about um, something that happened in the very recent past, which is now a matter of record and it's actually taught in medical ethics classes as a case of like, oh my God, that went really bad. Maybe we shouldn't do that again. See if you notice any of the parallels as we step through that today to what we're going on today, as if almost nothing got learned. Um, as well, we may or may not be able to get to and talk about what's going on with uh, the Georgia Guidestones. Uh, they got, they kind of got blowed up. Got blown up. Blowed up. And uh, we will be talking about, um, if we get to it, what's going on with the farmers, which honk honk, I'm a huge fan, huge fan of people reminding the power structures that actually it's the working people that really matter. And bizarre tweet of the day, most bizarre thing. Which one? <laughs> uh, so many. Biden. Biden says, it's important to remember that the backbone of America are the are the working people. Really? You have to remember that? Like, what? I never forgot about that. <laughs> but then again, I don't know. I don't, I'm not being wooed constantly by Ukrainians and Chinese people like that. So I, I never quite forgot about any of that stuff. But oh my gosh, it's just crazy what's going on out there in the world today. So... Um, but here's the thing. I really do want to talk about this, the, the ways in which our medical system is, um, it's really hurting us more than helping us in many cases. I didn't realize how bad this was. I'm a pretty cynical guy. I, I thought I was, I, I, I spent a lot of my life not, well, I challenge any expert, any, I don't care who they are. <laughs> I don't care if they've. When I can't smell you. that there's something going on that's like, my spidey senses are so good. I know BS from, from not BS. I don't know the truth always, but I know the BS. When I detect that somebody is not able to really give me the kind of answer that I need, whether it's a legal answer, an engineering answer, it doesn't matter. If I have a sense that maybe they're not totally on top of their game, um, I will ask questions and keep going until I get the answers to that. Now, when it comes to doctoring, though, it's mm -hmm. amazing what's been revealed so far. Uh, and, and you come from a family with doctors in it, don't you? <laughs> I plead the fifth. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, uh, a lot of people in my family are either in nursing, teaching nursing or are doctors. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, oh, I, I missed whatever that comment was, but, um, let's look here now at, uh, where we're going today. Welcome to this informed consent, everybody. I believe in informed consent. I believe that many doctors and I believe many people within the healthcare system today are the same as flat earthers. Now. Ooh, you're going to get in trouble for this one. I hope so. <laughs> so the flat earth thing to me is a real mysterious thing. My personal view of the whole flat earth phenomenon where all these people argue that the earth is flat. And I, I love how they drew this because they show the water flowing off the edge. And I'm like, flowing where? 
that implies there's a down and that there's gravity. So <laughs> what's underneath that? Is there some big giant gravitational source under the flat? Anyway, bad drawing. But um, so, so, so I happen to believe that the flat earth idea was concocted within a three-letter agency as sort of a PSYOP campaign, or it was concocted somewhere to see how far they could push people and also mm. is a means to discredit people when they could say, oh, you're, you, 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 you happen to ask questions about these current um, magic juice shots. You're just like those flat earthers. It's used by guilt of association. So I think these things are sometimes stood up and the use of these things being stood up is to create guilt by association. You know Say I mean? more about that. So it's it's just a it's just a way of discrediting. So if if um, like if you if somebody if one of your neighbors came and put like a a really bad bumper sticker on your car, and then said, "Oh, you're one of those people, aren't you?" You'd be like, "No, somebody else did that, right?" I think that the, I think that the flat Earth thing was stood up I and pushed. By people who didn't believe in it at all, who had other motives, and their motive was to see how much they could get people believing in this and pushing it along so that you could then, you know, it's that lumping thing. Oh, you have questions about 9-11 mm. and the magic juice? You probably also believe in Area 51, aliens, flat earth. Like, it's a, it's a lumping technique. And you wear tinfoil, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's just a way. So anyway, but here's the embarrassing part. There are doctors out there right now who have the equivalent of a flat earth mentality, right? And I know why they do. I know why they do it in this case. I love this. So 97% of scientists agree with whoever is funding them and the other 3% are banned from social media. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> We're gonna be discussing this today because this is really important because of how far off the, the, the rails we've gone in this particular story. It's pretty bad right now. I, I somehow thought that when push came to shove, that ultimately the purity of thought, that the you know being a, that what mattered most to a scientist was not being wrong, mm -hmm. right? Rather than defending an indefensible spot, or so doing no harm in the case of doctors, or doing no harm, absolutely. <clears throat> so so let me just show you an example of this flat Earth thing. Um, I'm not sure if I showed this to you yet, Evie, but CTV News out of Calgary came up with a story, and they said, ah, kind of weird. Alberta is reporting an unprecedented increase in ill-defined and unknown causes of death in 2021. They're like, what could be, <laughs> right? So confusing. <laughs> but look at this, look, look at that chart there. Number one is ill-defined and unknown causes at 3,362, right? You have to go all the way down to number five to find malignant neoplasms, that's cancer. Wow. Standing in at just 1,552, which means there is, there, you are more than twice as likely, as scared as people are of cancer. Like, oh my God, cancer, that's awful. Mm -hmm. You are twice as likely in Alberta for some reason in 2021 to die from some mysterious thing as from cancer. Now, I consider that to be rather important and newsworthy. That should send up alarm signals. You should be like having, people should be exploring this with wide open minds and saying, mm -hmm. what could this be? Do they have numbers about the like who it was, like what age range no. or whatnot? They're not curious enough to do that. Shoot. They haven't broken it down by two important things. What how much what what was your magic juice status? Mm. And how old were you? I mean, this would be important information, at least to rule it out. Absolutely. Right? That's what you'd want to do in a case. This is called a differential in, in medicine. 
you say, well, they have a fever. Could be bacteria, could be virus. You know, those would be your top two differentials. Like we're gonna start there. Could be a thyroid dysregulation. So let's check their thyroid hormone levels. It could, there's a variety of things it could be. Until you know, you wouldn't rule one of those out, right? You wouldn't say, we're just gonna take bacteria off the table. Couldn't be that. We don't think it's that. <laughs> my belief system, my flat earth approach to this says, can't be that. So we have to come up with some other explanation, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So, so what was astonishing to me though, is that, um, within this, they, all they mentioned, they managed to dig up just one doctor, just one doctor who belongs to a university system out there in Canada. And his whole thing was, gosh, it's just a shame that, you know, these numbers make me worried that maybe we should, you know, that it's a shame that we haven't been able to get more people vaccinated. Now, here's the problem. Is that my father? <laughs> <laughs> you went there, not me. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with this. There's a big problem with this. The first problem is that in 2020, out there, they reported 1,090 people in Alberta dying from COVID. In 2021, after an aggressive Magic Juice campaign, mm -hmm. right, they had 1,890 people die. So they had a big increase in the number of people dying. What, what the first thing you would say is, what's our litmus test for are these things working like what i want in a medical treatment against a known disease vector that you would see fewer deaths <laughs> in the year that you really applied that stuff not more not just a few more like 80 percent more but then as well there's this extraordinary explosion in these ill-defined and unknown causes so it's not any of these other causes, basically? No, these these are all the causes listed out, and they got the numbers on there, right? So dementia is still a top thing. They put COVID in it, number three. Now, now again, this is an area where they're going to be as generous as possible call, calling something a COVID-19 death. I mean, if there's any possibility, A, they're financially incentivized to do it. B, they all want COVID to be as bad as possible. I mean, it's just they, any anything they could have stacked in there, they did. Um, but uh, there were others, there were so many that... that they, they have no explanation for. Now, the reason I'm calling this uh, Dr. Gregory guy a, a flat earther is because he had no curiosity. He, his differential was like, I guess we should have had more magic juice out there, right? That was it. That was the sum total of his thinking, right? What do you call that psychologically when you're like, I need to justify my experience in the past two years, which was horrific. I mean, people experience a lot of challenges. Well, okay. So it could have been a so there's psychological explanations for this, right? Matthias Desmet yeah. talks to us about mass psychosis and, you know, the, the need for ritualistic sacrifice and, and to, you know, the narrative is more important than the reality. That's possibility. But author Upton Sinclair said, never require or expect a man to understand something if his salary requires him not to. Mm -hmm. Could be that too. I mean, a lot of people know which side the bread is buttered on. And that's why when we're going to be talking with Pierre Corey later, talking with it with a very courageous person there's a lot of courageous people out there a lot of really good doctors who not only risked but actually lost their livelihoods because they said no i can't do that that's that's dumb you're asking me to believe in the flat earth scenario which is like i'm not supposed to be able to connect a plus b i watch somebody in my icu i give them some substance and they get better and i watch that repeatedly i don't need a RCT controlled by a pharma company that that Fauci oversees to tell me that that was correct or incorrect. 
Like they just know that's called doctoring. So, so good doctors know those things. And in particular, when you're using a repurposed um, DRUG that that's that's exceptionally safe, has a huge wide safety profile, then then mm -hmm. that's what you do, right? Particularly if there are no other options and people are otherwise succumbing, right? Right. You would expect, require, and I would demand that my doctor try things, well, right? The emergency use, you know, piece of this whole, of the magic juice situation yeah. was them jumping to them, jumping to the conclusions that it warranted, you know, just rushing that through the usual processes and fine rush it so, through but, but then the, but then collect the rest of the data I'm now they're trying. not even bothering they're just not even trying to collect the data so so the, the 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 fun part such as it is is that under this ctv news in calgary um when they posted it we had this extraordinary explosion of people underneath just having none of it commenting right so my view is that we're very close to getting to common knowledge in this story meaning Common knowledge is when everybody knows that everybody knows something. And so we're seeing more and more of these articles where they can't even begin to form the appropriate question like, huh, we just had, and this is a horrifying number, right? This is, this is um, somewhere around 1,886 more people than should have or was expected died for some unknown reason in Alberta in a single year. That's 1,800 I don't have, we'll see what happens to their base statistics, but the other places I've looked at this, these aren't 85 year old people. These are young people. These mm. are people with families. These are mothers, fathers. These are people in their twenties, thirties, forties, right? This is horrifying. That is a horrifying number right there. It really and is. it really should horrify <laughs> us. But the fact that the media is just like, eh, you know, oh my God, shame on them. It's just, it's really, really awful. So, so let's, I want to hopefully there's this story I want to go through because I think it really begins to explain where we are now. And the mistake a lot of people make is thinking, oh, people were like that then, but there wouldn't be like that now, <laughs> right? Oh, Hitler was then. People wouldn't do that now, would they? <laughs> Common misconception. No, humans are still humans, right? Yeah. That's just like this thing we always have to remind ourselves is like, just because you're alive today doesn't mean that you're immune from all the stuff that humans typically do back and forth and all that. So we're going to talk about this. So this is back from when National Public Radio was actually a media outlet and was actually skeptical of pharma. They wrote this in November of 2007. And so this is in the aftermath of something called Vioxx. Vioxx is a drug that was made by Merck. They were very unhappy that Pfizer had created another compound in this same category called Celecoxib, and they desperately wanted a competitor, so they raced this thing right through, and it went very badly. I mean, really badly. Now, we could cut right to the chase. If you saw the thumbnail, 38,000 people died from this drug before they pulled it off the market. That's a minimum number. They were also still putting this out there. They tried to put me on that a long time ago because mm -hmm. I was about 18, 19 when I had my first back surgery and they were trying to put me on this. Who was? My doctor, mm. my doctors or whoever. So even after they supposedly yanked it, they were. It, it took a while, I think, for doctors to catch up with that. And they were still, if they hadn't been reading the news, how would they know? I don't know how the how that works in terms of well, there's notifications. A, there's but. a whole marketing thing where they just push it out really hard. But if your doctors were good doctors, they would have actually said, wait a minute, this is a whole new class of compounds. These things 
hey, sometimes we find stuff out. Maybe I should read some literature. There was clear signs in this literature early on mm -hmm. that this was a very bad compound early. So I want to go through the story because it's instructive. Yeah. Nothing's changed, right? And this is all ancient history now, and, and it's in the books. In fact, this is taught as part of medical ethics courses now, right? You will <laughs> learn about the Vioxx saga, and it's very well characterized. We know who the players were and all of that. All right, so... So here, uh, they say, quote, shortly before the FDA approval approved Vioxx in 1999, drug maker Merck launched a study it hoped would prove that Vioxx was superior to older painkillers. So, so what they were going to do is they, they had ibuprofen, mm -hmm. they had Tylenol, they had naproxen, right? But they just wanted something and they wanted it to be better. So when the pharma companies want something like that, boy, do they, they push hard. And they are so good at like ignoring things and only gathering the data they want and doing this and that. So this story is hugely instructive because... Yeah, about the character of, of that particular Because uh, it has business. nothing's, nothing's yeah. changed. I know. All right. So they hoped it, it was going to cause uh, fewer gastrointestinal problems. Instead, the study would eventually show that Vioxx could be deadly. No, that it was um, causing heart attacks and strokes. Five years after Vioxx's launch, Merck withdrew the drug from the market. By that time, Merck had sold billions of dollars of the drug worldwide. So here's a timeline of what actually happened. So that, that's all. They just, they wanted a new drug product and they were willing to skirt laws and break rules. But here's the most important part. They were willing to kill people and cover that up. And they didn't care. They really, they didn't care. So um, interesting story here. So this is a... Uh, um, yeah, before it was removed here, uh, it hurt hundreds of thousands of patients, killing about a third of them. Here's the timeline. So November 99, they have a, a meeting and, um, wait, is this the first piece of the timeline? Yeah, sorry, back up here. Um, November of, of 1998, so Merck files and they ask the FDA, they're like, hey, could you approve this Vioxx thing? Hey, we tested it on 5,400 subjects, eight studies. Um, by January, I, I think it was actually, um, yeah, January of 99, Merck then looks at this thing called the Vioxx Gastrointestinal Outcomes Research Study, Vigor. We're going to hear about Vigor a little bit. So Vigor is just a study they did, has 8,000 patients in it, largest study ever done of, the, of this particular drug. Half takes Vioxx, half take naproxen. So it's designed to see, is it safer? So... Mm -hmm. You should do this double-blind, placebo-controlled. The placebo in this case is not a placebo, but it's an active ingredient, naproxen. Okay, you know, they should have had some people on, on placebo, but here's what they did. So the, this is, by the way, it's safer for the digestive system because I remember being told this. Um, things like ibuprofen and everything in the NSAID family can have particular um, issues in the digestive system making you bleed internally mm -hmm. and, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's... It's not just like it hurts your stomach, like aspirin or something. Like if you take it on an empty stomach, it's, it actually no, no, has the, legitimate... There were, there were legit issues. Ulcerative stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And actually for people who are on chronic, like if you're going to take these long-term... By the way, no drugs are really meant to be taken long-term. No. If you have to take it long-term, you got other things need fixing. So, so, but they were trying to find something that maybe had fewer GI issues. That mm -hmm. would have been a marketable differentiator and they would have been able to go forward to your doctors and say, hey, amazing new stuff here. By the way, it's very expensive 
pay no attention to that other stuff that's 10 cents a pill because we have this shiny new thing <laughs> that we're going to give you here, right? Okay. All right. So in May of 99, FDA approves Vioxx. Yay. What do we know about, about the FDA now? Well, we know they'll approve almost anything at this point. Remember Adelm from Biogen for the Alzheimer's, right? 11 out of 12 or 12 out of 13 on the committee said, no, don't do this. And FDA is like, we're doing it. <laughs> that doesn't, causes the brains to bleed and doesn't help. Approved 56 grand a year. Amazing, FDA. You're amazing. Um, and so, so in October of 99, they have a first meeting about the study data, right? And they have this data safety monitoring board, the DSMB. It's very important. The person who sits on the DSMB is supposed to be um, completely, and the people who sit on the DSMB are supposed to be completely not connected to either the drug have any ownership of the of the drug company involved, any ties, they're supposed to be very independent. That's the idea. So the DSMB, you have to select it very carefully. Of course, a little tricky because if you got somebody on there who's... Um, who has stock or... Who, well, who is on that end or on the other end who's hostile to your stuff, boy, mm. they, can, they can really make things trouble for you. So um, at any rate, study results as of October 1st of 99 show that Vioxx patients have fewer ulcers and less GI bleeding than patients taking Deproxen. It looks as if the study is going to be a success. All right, that's interesting. Um, so then in November of 99, they have a second meeting of the Viagra safety panel. And oops, um, they noted that 79 patients had serious heart problems or have died. Oops. <laughs> compared with 41 patients taking naproxen. So, you're a doctor. Now, your differential would include, okay, that was random. Mm -hmm. Okay, it just could be random chance. Let's figure this out. They or, were old anyway. It they was were going to die. It was just random do? chance. just happened. <laughs> you know, we accidentally put more sick people in this group than that group, so we're going to look at our, how our randomization process, that's possible. Or you could say, well, maybe this naproxen actually prevents heart attacks. And the baseline should have been 79. Or you have to include one more possibility, which is our drug kills people. You have to, right? <laughs> That's your differential. You're working down, like, what could this thing be? So, so check this out. The DSMB votes to continue the study, but decides Merck needs to develop a plan to analyze the cardiovascular results. The DSMB chairman, Michael Weinblatt, um, we're going to be hearing that name again as we go through this story. They draft a letter, they send it to Merck, and they say, you, you should do something. Later, when defending its decision to continue the study, the safety panel said it couldn't tell if Vioxx was causing the heart problems or if naproxen acting like low-dose aspirin protected people from them, making Vioxx just look risky by comparison. Wow. This is your DSMB. <laughs> They're supposed to be considering all the options. They're like, well, we just continued because we couldn't tell if it wasn't this. That's called flat earth thinking <laughs> that is flat sure is. earth thinking right there that is just oh my god really so and again though this is potentially in a smaller study 40 extra deaths almost 40 people 40 people with lives families businesses things to do more life in front of them who are mm -hmm. cut short by this right okay but the dsmb is like wow ah, might have been something else um, all right, I think I got these slightly out of order, but I'll work it out. Here we go. So in February, uh, Merck and Weinblatt agree to analyze heart problems, blah, blah, blah. So Weinblatt finally in February 
2000, right? So he's on the DSMB back in 99. In February of 2000, he fills out a financial disclosure form that says, oh, oh hey, yeah, me and my wife, we own $72,975 in Merck stock. Should I have mentioned that earlier? <laughs> oh, boy. Finally files a report. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, what do we do, right? I forgot. <laughs> By February 15th of 2000, Weinblatt now agree he agrees to a new consulting contract with Merck. He's supposed to be the chairman, or he is the chairman of the DSMB overseeing this drug. Next thing you know, he's got a consulting contract with Merck. They wrote to him, we are delighted that you have agreed to serve as a member of the Vioxx Multidisciplinary Advisory Board. And he signs a new contract on March 6th and involves 12 days of work over two years at the rate of five grand a day. So now we have a number. How much does it cost to buy somebody off so that they'll look the other way if you're killing people? And the answer is 60 grand. Not much. Right? I mean, because they made a lot of money on this drug. 12 days times 5,000 is 60 grand. That's all it costs. Surprisingly, disturbingly cheap. Um, you probably, we'd have the same thing like, you you bought that congressman for how much? <laughs> mm -hmm. one, of, one of those deals, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, so uh, all right, all right. So then in March of 2000, right around the time Weinblatt's signing his contract, Merck gets the results of their Vigor trial. And, um, and they submit the Vigor paper to the NEJM. Hey, the New England Journal of Medicine. Oh my gosh, Chris, if it's not in the NEJM, we can't trust that. The NEJM, the gold standard, right? So, <laughs> by the way, the NEJM totally whiffed on so much of the COVID stuff. I mean, they just, they did bad stuff. They, they did, did really horrible things. Um, again, you're going to find exactly like what we're, we're finding out by, like this. So, but get this, when they submitted the paper to the NEJM, the data only included 17 out of 20 heart attacks. They just skipped three of them, hmm. right? And then in July and November of 2000, so, so this is May to April, June, July, months later, mm -hmm. the Vigor authors submitted two sets of correction to their NEJM manuscript, but still couldn't quite squeeze in those three additional heart attacks from the study. And these are just the heart attacks from the study in the study window. There were others going on after this, which they totally ignored, right? But they were leaving out important, necessary data. Oops, right? To me, in my world, that's actually a criminal offense. You go to prison for that. Mm -hmm. But here, it's just like, oops. You know, they just overlooked it. Omission. Yeah. <clears throat> Finally, in October of 2000, Merck tells the FDA about a heart attacks 181920. They're like, oh, yeah, one more thing. <laughs> we got one more thing, right? So, so uh, all right, carrying on. In November of 2000, um, they still, they, they now have another publication out in NEJM, no mention of those three additional heart attacks, but apparently the FDA knows it. So by February of 2001, the FDA finally holds an advisory meeting on the Viger trials. It publishes a complete Viger data on its website. It just puts it up on the website. Oh, oh here it is. Including the additional heart attacks and data on other cardiovascular events. Dirty D says, what's the difference between big pharma and the drug cartel? The drug cartel doesn't force you and your family to take their drugs. <laughs> wow, that's powerful. <laughs> that's true. It's absolutely right true. So now we get to the business end of this whole thing. So from January of 2002 to August of 2004, remember this drug is out on the market. It's out there. 
Numerous epidemiological studies are starting to point to Vioxx's increased risk of cardiovascular problems. By September of 2004, Merck withdraws Vioxx after a colon polyp prevention study called APPROVE shows that the drug raises the risk of heart attacks after 18 months. And by this time, Vioxx is withdrawn from the market and estimated 20 million Americans have taken the drug, almost you. Mm -hmm. Research later published in the medical journal Lancet estimates 88,000 Americans had heart attacks from this, 38,000 of them died. And then NEJM editor-in-chief, Dr. Jeffrey Drazen tells NPR that the journal had been hoodwinked by Merck. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's again. all their fault. <laughs> oh, again. Oh no, just like you got hoodwinked again. Dr. Drazen, it's just, oops, happens over and over again, right? So the point here is that it's not like they, by 2004, they said, well, we noticed some epidemiological studies. They're, get, they're getting like just bombarded with this stuff and they're hiding it and they're not writing papers about it. And they're just carrying on like this. And, mm -hmm. and they absolutely had vast amounts of input data that said, this stuff is killing people. Mm -hmm. They knew it. They ultimately had uh, like $4.8 billion lawsuit they lost and, you know, but, but the, they should have lost tons more than that because they killed 38,000 people. Yeah, 38,000. That's a lot. It's a lot. And they knew it and they hid this stuff and they co-opted the doctors, right? Who were involved. Is, is Brandy, was Brandy Vaughn, remember the Merck uh, former executive or whatnot, she was in, involved with that company and then later spoke out about them. Mm -hmm. Was she involved with that particular medication, do you know? I don't know. Brandy Vaughn died, I think, in 2021. She was found dead. Yep, I don't um, know. She was, she was actually talking about the vaccines, but in, she was a, farmer, a former, excuse me, Merck pharmaceutical rep, I think. <clears throat> who paid the price for going up against them. Yeah. All anyway. right. So, so just remember, remember, cause I can't, I just can't help it. I'm this kind of person. So remember this Weinblatt? I said, we'd hear from this guy again. Weinblatt. Yeah. Weinblatt. He's supposed to be the person in charge of the, the, the DMBS. He's the monitoring board for safety. His job. He had a statement out after all this came out. He said, quote, I deeply resent the suggestion that there was any conflict of interest between my brief service on the advisory board and my work as chair of the Vigor DSMB. The DSMB had completed its task, end quote. Methinks the senator doth protest too loudly, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? That, that's called a, a good defense is a strong offense. I deeply resent, I huff and I puff. Oh my goodness, this is all... That this gentleman's ego was a little bruised because he did a really dirty, nasty thing and killed a bunch of people is the least of my concerns in this story. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just it's just gross. So you think, what happens to somebody like that when they do something this conflict of interest, fail this spectacularly in their duties? What happens to them? They're rewarded. Correct. <laughs> really? He's, yeah, there he is. <laughs> right. That's what the banality of evil, right? That's what Hannah Arendt says. The banality of evil is, is e when you think of evil people doing evil things, it's not, it's not like in the movies, you know, mm -hmm. with some clearly, obviously evil person. It looks like this, right? This is a guy right here, right? And, and of course, now he gets, he gets rewarded because some people who are rich decided he'd done good things for them. And so now he's... He's uh, in an endowed chair in the division um, here at still at Brigham Women's, but that's that's the guy right there. Wow. 
And it would appear that overgrown eyebrows is his only real issue. (laughs) (laughs) And as Hannah Arendt said, the sad truth is that most evil is done by people who never make up their minds to be good or evil. Mm. That's a good quote. Yeah. I, think I have her true. sort of I found a picture of her staring, so she's staring right at she's she's looking at you, buddy. <laughs> right? I don't know how you live with yourself when you do stuff like this. Right? You have to go through some mental contortions to tell yourself that you're still a good person, that you're doing good work and that this is how it is and you know, drug development is complicated and sometimes it doesn't always work out and we did the best we could and there was no way we could have seen the safety signal. But that's that's BS. Right. It's complete hmm. BS. But how is any of this different than what we're, what we're going through now? Doesn't seem very different to me. I mean, I think you could write a timeline that looks almost identical to that, switch the dates to what we went through in the past couple of years and mm-hmm. matches up perfectly in that sense. The denial, the gaslighting, the treatment of, of people who suffered real injuries, you know, the canceling of individuals who are speaking out, mm-hmm. doctors losing their licenses. Mm-hmm. Because they're refusing to turn away and not pay attention. I mean, I was shocked to have that conversation with my own parent. Hmm. I thought he was going to take the opportunity to like really stand up for what he had, you know, self-described as like wanting to heal the world and help people. And mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that it was so easy to sort of brush it aside. Yeah. You know, I mean, I get that it was a scary time and there was there were a lot of unknowns but remember that fight i had with him mm-hmm, i do it was awful i do you you came armed with data i did lots of data he didn't really want to hear it I don't no think. no because it's all about belief systems and it's not really about the data as they say never bring data to a belief fight you know? <laughs> so but but this is going on and so what i really deplore now is is the degree to which it feels like the worst the worst people are rewarded as we saw in this example and the best people people like paul merrick and pierre corey and peter mccullough and robert malone on and on and on whole list of people are just trying to do they're just trying to help they want to be helpful Mm -hmm. and they want to do the right thing and the system of course is completely offended by that (laughs) we deeply resent that you people are making us look bad Mm. you know or whatever the story is well, I mean, maybe people aren't rewarded in the traditional sense. Like they're not going to, you know, Paul Merrick isn't going to be making billions of dollars in this life. But I'm pretty sure he probably sleeps better at night. Oh, I'm, I'm sure of that. Know? And that yeah. somewhere else, you know, where where people actually keep track of these things, that he's, he's going to be rewarded for, you know, sticking with his intuition. And I would like for to think following so. what he knew to be truth at the time. You know? This is what, probably one of those things, unfortunately, though, where it's kind of like 100 years later, mm. people go, oh, yeah, he was right. Remember? So, mm-hmm. I mean, medical literature and history is just littered with people who were hounded, attacked, had their license ruined because they just happened to have a, a bit of medical truth before other people mm-hmm. cottoned on. I mean, that's just how it is. I know. That profession, we just have, let's be, let's be completely honest, is totally stocked full of people who are very ego maniacal and they're very defensive and anything that cuts against what they believe to be true they don't play fair they will ruin careers take down other people who Mm -hmm. are saying something different than what 
they would want to hear. And sometimes what they want to hear has a clear conflict of interest monetary component to it. It's that grubby. It's just literally a few bucks. Mm -hmm. That's it. So, but to sort of drive this home, we're going to turn now to a, a, uh, my good friend, our good friend, Dr. Pierre Corey. I managed to catch him for a few minutes earlier today. Ryan, tee that up. Let, let's uh, hear, let's listen into um, this amazing gentleman uh, being interviewed by me. Well, all right, to follow up on this idea and uh, to carry on with uh, what's going on with our so-called healthcare system, turning now to my good friend and source of inspiration always, Dr. Pierre Corey. Dr. Corey. Chris. Hey, it's really good hey. to have you here. <laughs> good to be here. You're not going to make me cry again, are you? No, maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, Pierre, what we've just been... Um, this fits in the context of a show where I'm going to be looking at stuff like what happened with Viox, which is a particularly ugly story, and, and just seeing it as a continuation of all of that. But I got to tell you that the part that catches me, so I'm looking at Viox, right? And there's all these hard-hitting articles in NPR and CBS. And so back then, which is called the early 2000s, the media yeah. was like a decent watchdog. They're saying, wow, this was really unacceptable. You know, tens of thousands of people died because of that faulty product. It was recalled. It should never have been approved. It's an ugly story, but it's no different than the story we're seeing today. So people, I think, would imagine that maybe things have improved and uh, you can trust our media now to be the same watchdogs, but we can't. So let's talk about what's going on with you and uh, with this yeah. thing with the ABIM. What, what, what is that? Tell us about this story. Yeah. You know, let me just say one thing about what you just said, Chris, because like, uh, you, you know, way back in whatever it was, you said 2015 or whatever, you know, BC, you know, before COVID, mm -hmm. you know, when media actually purportedly did, did journalism. Um, but, you know, when you bring up Viox, and I think it, it, it reflects on what we're going to talk about is that I just saw an article just two days ago that someone sent me. It was, uh, I think it was in Newsweek. It was in some big magazine. But they actually did an investigative piece on Merck and around Pfizer. Or I can't remember if it was Merck or Pfizer who had Viox, but they That's actually right. had a list of doctors. They had a hit list of doctors who were speaking up uh, negatively about their drug. And mm -hmm. they had on that list, they were either neutralized, uh, or neutralized or discredited. And that's all they were seeking, seeking to do. So if you had an opinion that went against uh, their product, they went after you and they had a list of doctors. And the reason why I bring that up is because you just asked me about the American Board of Internal Medicine. Has a little bit of parallels there, maybe? I wondered, Chris, does any pharmaceutical money flow through or to the American Board of Internal Medicine? It's a mystery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a mystery. Um, but, you know, what is going on with that? I mean, so, you know, right, uh, those of us, I think those of us who have a more public profile, who've come out with our scientific opinions uh, based on deep research of many aspects of COVID, many of us have, are highly published in COVID. And we've shared those deeply researched opinions and we've done it multiple places. And those are inconvenient truths, right? And so uh, they, they don't form the narrative and now we're being targeted. I mean, first the media has been targeting us forever, right? Trying to discredit us, but now we get letters. So Peter McCullough, myself, I don't know if you know this, but Paul Merrick was feeling left out and jealous. So he received his letter yesterday. Apparently it was delayed because they sent it to his old medical school. And so, <laughs> So, you know, we're just three of those 
by the American Board of Internal Medicine. And what's interesting is the letter, basically all it is, is I think somebody compiled, somebody who really has it in for us, compiled a list of statements we've made in interviews on social media um, and, and, and other places on our sub stacks. And they sent it to American Board of, of Internal Medicine, who now has a policy going after misinformation. And it basically was just a list of all these statements I made. It didn't say that they were wrong. They just said, these are your statements. Please, you know, you, you can rebut these. It, it was bizarre, Chris. They did not provide evidence to show that I'm wrong. All they did was list the statements I made and then ask me to reply to the letter. And they, they but it basically, the letter basically said that uh, I, it looks like I'm in violation of their new misinformation policy. Um, they talked a little bit philosophically about the difference between legitimate scientific debate and misinformation, you know, because there's a real clear line there, right, Chris? Um, <laughs> and, and I will tell you, I, I don't know if it was in that letter or if it was somewhere else, but do you know what they gave? So they gave the, I, I saw this, I think it was in their policy, but they gave two examples of what is clearly misinformation. Non-debatable, these are examples of what is misinformation. So one is if a doctor claims that scurvy is the proximate cause of atherosclerotic heart disease. So if you're a doctor who says that heart disease is caused by scurvy, which is vitamin C deficiency, that is misinformation. Wait, isn't so that true? you can't go around saying things that are blatantly untrue, apparently. <laughs> by the Wait. way, there may actually be some truth to that. So. <laughs> there actually is, as far as I know. Yes. Well, that's Linus Pauling's work, vitamin C. It's used to make collagen as part of the, you need collagen to have healthy uh, veins and arteries. I don't know. I, I would I would I would say it's a contributor too, but but anyway, so that was one example. And okay. you know what the other one was? The other one was a doctor who says that the COVID mRNA vaccines do not result in decreased hospitalization and death. That is proven fact that is no longer debatable. It is now a scientific law or a truth. So anyone who claims otherwise is clearly guilty. Do not pass go, does not need to be debated. If you say that the vaccines do not lead to reductions in hospitalization and death, then that's misinformation. For COVID or for all cause? COVID, COVID, COVID. Because I'm kind of interested this in how they work all cause as a, you know, as a public health statement. Personally. That's basically, that's that's what they gave as examples. And then, but, you know, the, the strange thing, like I said, is they did not, you know, we, we consulted a lawyer who's helped us, you know, draft a response because I was looking at this and I'm like, what, I guess they're asking me to defend every statement I made. And I'm like, I could give them, I could give them a hundred pages of data to support every statement I made. I didn't really feel like it. I'm pretty tired. I'm really tired of these attacks, but that's essentially what they were implying I do. But uh, the lawyer that we consulted actually pointed out that in their own policy for misinformation, they're not even following their own policy. They're supposed to provide me with the evidence that I'm wrong. Hmm. I don't provide them with the evidence that I'm right. If they think that I'm doing misinformation, they need to show me. And so I don't actually have to, I don't plan on replying to this. We're just going to point out what we're asking for them is to read their own policy and then reissue the letter. And we're happy to receive it. 
but that letter better contain proof or, or their evidence to show that I'm being a, a misinformationist. All right. So, Pierre, who is the ABIM? What power do they have over you? Yeah. And um, who are they? Yeah, yeah, I think that's most people, if you're not in medicine, don't understand. So let me let me kind of clarify. So medical boards, which are usually referred to state licensing boards. So all of us physicians who practice medicine, we do that uh, with a license and you apply to a state medical board to get that license. And that is a state level certification regulation. Thank God it's not the federal government, uh, Chris, that's the licensed doctors. It's a state level. Um, and that's what we call medical board. The American Board of Internal Medicine is what we call a certifying board. And basically, I'll just break it down for you. It's an organization that creates this test, which is supposedly a little bit more difficult than the test you take in medical school. And if you pass the test, you are granted board certification. And it's kind of like a badge of distinction or honor. Um, really, you just pay the money and it's increasingly exorbitant to pay for these tests. They really do cost a lot of money. Um, they have very high passing rates. Um, and so you kind of can get the game that they run. They've been running this for a long time. The problem with certifying boards is that for many decades, you didn't have to be board certified. It gave you a little bit of an extra air of credibility if you're board certified. Uh, didn't really do, do much for me, in my opinion. But for years, it was just this extra thing. But guess what, Chris? Over the decades, suddenly you had academic medical centers would not hire a doctor unless they were board certified. So if you want to go work for a bunch of different hospital systems, you better have your boards. If you want to be on an insurance company panel to be a provider in their network, guess what? You had to be board certified. So suddenly this sort of extra like badge of distinction suddenly now is actually required to practice medicine. And it didn't used to be like that. It is now. So let's say they strip me of my board certification from what I'm doing right now. Cause I'm in private practice. I have a telehealth practice and I don't take insurance. It won't affect me at all. But if ever I want to go back into the ICU, which I won't do, Chris, until they come to their senses, I couldn't walk into a hospital right now. <laughs> um, you know, I wouldn't be, I probably would have a lot of difficulty getting that job if I didn't have my board certification. So it does have some ramifications potentially. Hmm. All right. And, and so who do you think is actually on this board? Like, like what, what game are they playing at this point in time? Is this, I, I'm still trying to get my arms around what's actually been happening here. It's very clear that money rules the day and that there's a lot of money, but there must be something more to this than that because, you know, I was just, uh, I, I, you know, I was going over this with my subscribers recently that New Brunswick, New Brunswick just came out and, and their health minister had to report just a couple days ago to a parliamentary body that, yeah, they had like 889 excess deaths. It was a 26% increase above baseline and, and they don't have any clues what it could be. But, but hmm. I, you know, I, I'm just shocked, Pierre, that, that there aren't people in these positions of authority, which I assume the ABIM sort of considers themselves to be in a, in a gatekeeping, yep. we're keepers of the system. We want the system to do the best it can that still can't find a way to even be curious about this stuff until somebody else digs it out, pushes it in their face, and then they go, yeah, that's kind of weird. We'll look into it. And of course, we know they aren't going to. I, I don't know what's happening anymore. I'm, I'm really at a loss to understand what's motivating these people or not. I, I don't get it. I mean, does that 
play in here Chris, at all? Do you, do you know what's going on here? It's not fair. <laughs> if you don't have an idea, you're asking me. <laughs> I go to you for answers. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, what, what I... I mean, one guess that I... I mean, again, there could be a lot of other things. So it's, it's, some of it could just be plain old traditional corruption, power, and influence. They want to shut us up, and so someone's telling them to go after. So it could be that simple, and I'm sure there might be an aspect of that. But some of it could just be like... You know, I'm just going to speak very bluntly here, Chris. I mean, we are owning them in any data argument. They know it. They're holding up their little selective peer-reviewed papers, which ignore that there's an editorial mafia, which is keeping all of the uh, um, uh, adverse data on the vaccines and the pro the pro data on the repurposed drugs. We know that they're being kept out of out of the medical journals. We have tons of public health data, all this data around the world to support everything that we're saying. And we're making them look foolish. I mean, come on, Chris, the FLCCC, you know, everyone in hospitals know who's we are, who we are, because many people go to them and they say, we want to use this protocol, we want to use. They have had it with us. We're owning them in a way, Chris, right? And so do you think a little retribution might be? In order, you know, we got we got to put these guys that show them who's boss, show them who's expert, and basically let's find them guilty of misinformation and finally and fully discredit them. Like, it, you think that could be some of the motivation? I mean, it's the usual stuff. It's money, power, authority, but clearly there are people. I don't think it's about them really believing we're misinformation. They can't be that stupid. Although maybe it is partly stupid that they literally think we're wrong and they don't know the science or the data. That's also a possibility, Chris. They haven't done the deep dive. They haven't, you know, they're just reading what they're fed from uh, Fauci and the agencies and the New England Journal of Medicine and JAMA. And if that's your diet of information, well, then maybe that is what's happening is that they're arrogantly at their desk saying, we need to put a stop to these guys who are saying wrong scientific information. I don't know. Take your pick for the, from those three. Well, we've had a couple of years to acquaint ourselves with the data. We have lots of data now, so we can look at all different of facets of this and understand that a lot of what passes as um, information or, or qualified, certified non-misinformation right now is actually misinformation. We know this, right? And so, I, listen, I understand sometimes it takes time for data to percolate through, but but this goes well beyond that at this stage for, for me, Pierre. And, and so yeah. I thought we were going to be more through this than we are. And I don't know who I'm fighting with on Twitter from day to day. It's a lot of bots, I assume, but some <laughs> of them seem like people. They got blue check marks. They have MDs and PhDs after their names, and they still don't know the base data. And they will defend to the death their right not to be availed of that data. Um, yep. They don't want to know. Well, Chris, they don't know. They can't because nobody would be out on Twitter in that public forum and be like hammering the idea that you still need to get vaccinated when the the data has been screaming for for many months. Not only should you not get vaccinated because they don't work, but they're highly toxic. But yet, if you're seeing these MD PhDs, they're literally pushing the same propaganda that they've been fed. I'm going to tell you, they're not doing it out of ignorance. They're doing it out of arrogance. I mean, and they, they truly believe the data that they've been presented, Chris. They're, I think I disagree with you that that people have done the deep dives and really percolated and looked at all the data. They're not. They're, they're on a steady diet of... of I mean, they're listening to only a couple of radio stations, Chris. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, I was getting in and a pretty deep dive argument with a with a doctor who was basically feeding me stuff from CNN, which I don't consider yes. one of the top journals I go to in this debate, right? And, and they literally didn't know anything other than what they've gotten from from CNN. I mean, this level of ignorance. These vaccines yep. are have been proven to stop the transmission of COVID. I'm like, dude, that is so two years ago. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but but that is part of the problem, Chris. So so. If the average doctor is is and, and some like you said some of these blue checked md phds on twitter i mean i literally think they're trying to educate the public that the vaccines are safe and effective and and it's because that's the only thing that they see and that's the only thing that they read so they believe that and i think that could extend to the board that they literally think i mean come on in the board itself i just told you what they put in the policy if you say that the vaccines don't reduce hospitalization death that's already a proven truth so so clearly part of it is that they believe that their truth is the truth history this will not age well history will not judge them kindly but even that is so blunt of a statement right which we know it has to be age adjusted we know it has to be risk adjusted because you know how can you possibly say that it's a blanket statement of known truth that vaccines reduce um, hospitalizations and death. Which age groups and for how long? There, I mean, there's a number of variables in here that we have to discuss because it's not a blanket statement that can be made. Right. That's for sure. And then we have, shouldn't it, I mean, come on, Pierre, at a high level, don't we have this awkward thing, which is we had this much hospitalization and death without vaccines, and now we have all these people who are vaccinated. Those hospitalizations and deaths should be lower. <laughs> Are they? Wait, let me, let me try to follow your argument for a second. Okay, yeah, I get that. So you have a disease that is no vaccine in use. You have a lot of hospitalization death, and then you introduce the vaccine across society, and then you're supposed to have less hospitalization death. Okay. Yes. Ah, so because that didn't happen, maybe they're wrong. <laughs> I think we need that. It just clearly argues for needing a third or fourth booster, obviously. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, well, there's that too. So. Well, it's just, I, you right, know, so um, you're at the coalface on this a lot more than I, because you get out in public a lot. I know you travel a lot. Um, you're quite the warrior on all this. Are you seeing a shift out there anywhere? I mean, you know, they say in financial madnesses that it's well said that, that men go mad in herds, but recover their senses slowly and one by one. That's Charles McKay from yeah. 1848, right? Describing humans. So is that, are you sensing that one by one yet? Or is this just, are we still okay. just broken into our camps and that's it? No, that that's that's an awesome question. I think the short answer is yes, but here's the thing. I'm outside the system, right? I don't work in a hospital anymore. I'm not in an academic medical center anymore. I don't really talk to old colleagues and trainees anymore. Um, I think they've all kind of written me off and probably it's vice versa. But I have talked to a few people on the inside that I've met and I am getting reports that things are changing. The vaccine injuries that are showing up in the hospitals, they're causing all sorts of odd presentations of bizarre, different distributions of organ systems, really not a lot of help from a lot of the tests are negative and the patients are really sick. They're seeing a lot of cancer and this is starting to be noticed. So the neurologists are seeing strokes in young people with no comorbidities that they've never seen before at high numbers. Cardiologists are seeing huge clots in the coronary arteries that they're stripping out of arteries. They know there's weirdness going on. And the discussion, now they're starting to talk about vaccines. 
And one trainee who does keep in touch with me, he reached out to me last week and he, he said that things were turning on and said it was his words. Because he's, he's been awake the whole time, but quiet. He works in an ICU. He's an ICU doctor. But, but he told me that he can tell. He had a palpable sense that it was changing. And then if you look at some of the media, right? So there was the Wall Street Journal the other day openly questioned why we're vaccinating toddlers, right? So that's a major, that's a corporate legacy media outlet. And I mean, they, they, they've come close to the envelope or the edge, you know, over, over the pandemic, that's pretty good calling out, like, what are we doing with vaccines for toddlers? I, I don't think you would have seen that, you know, six months ago or eight months ago. Um, and, and, and there was a few other mentions of that. And then I saw a bit by a comedian named Jim Brewer. I don't know if he came across it. Yeah. And, and I, I saw one a week ago, but then I saw a newer one and he really makes this whole bit about it's about the lies of the vaccines, how they were fallen one by one. You know, it, it, you'll never get sick or you'll only only some of you won't get sick or you won't go to the hospital. You, you know, and he makes this whole it's kind of a joke. And I just thought it was interesting that a major comedian does a bit which really affects the entire bit of society. And so if comedians think that's something you can like, I just feel like there's a little bit of movement. I, are you are you getting that from anyone that you feel like there's a change or you seen in the media? Well, I, I am. I'm seeing it in uh, all, all kinds of ways. So first, there's there people are getting really bold talking about the vaccine injuries out there in public. And we're seeing more articles written about that. And it's pretty clear how gross these stories are. Some of these people are, are really horribly injured. Like, I mean, like paralyzed from the neck down and then just gaslit by the authorities. Like, you know, that wasn't, you know, good luck building that ramp on your own, you quadriplegic. I mean, it's just horrifying, right? Yeah. So we're starting to see more and more of that come out and there's more sympathy around that. And then we saw the Austrian health minister think about maybe throwing the Austrian doctors under the bus, which is quite the thing. I mean, I do agree. I think doctors are the front. They are responsible for informed consent, full stop. But oh, yeah. so are the health authorities who are busy saying to the doctors, if you don't toe this line and if you say anything awkward, we'll pull your licenses. They've got culpability. Um, and as well as the medical journals and all that. A lot of culpability to go around. I'm starting to see finger oh, pointing and lots of questioning, but we're also seeing the doubling and tripling down, right? New Zealand's approach was just like, wow, lots of people are dying now. So let's give them more vaccines. I mean, they haven't quite caught on yet, but they'll get there, I think. I, I Yeah, I, I hope so. But I, I do think that, you know, he, here's just basically my view on this, is that the vaccines, just on the issue of the vaccines, that is a humanitarian catastrophe. It is, I think it's the most toxic medical intervention in the history, and it's affected most of the globe and certainly almost all advanced health economy in the world. And it's caused untold numbers of deaths and un, you know mortality and morbidity that I don't think people would actually believe the numbers if we actually put them out there. But there's been teams of people who've estimated, for instance, the amount of deaths caused by the vaccines. And the estimates range for in this, this country alone between 300 and 800,000 just by the vaccines. And that, that seems almost unimaginable or uncredible, but the data is actually pretty well done. And, and the, the lower end is the very conservative one. Um, and so when you think of the amount of people have died, and this is what we're talking about, Chris, it's showing up in the life insurance data, it's showing up in disability claims. I mean. Those companies, that's their job, right? They are paying out claims like they've never paid out in history. And so that is a humanitarian catastrophe. 
How long can that be ignored? It can't be forever. You, you cannot ignore it forever. And so I think you're right. You are starting to see, you know, some places a little bit more than others, right? There'd be, I like the point about doubling down because there are definitely people who are still doubling down. But I think there are some who, who realize you cannot keep a lid on this forever. I mean, this is going to need to be addressed, not only in terms of culpability, but solutions. We got to get science going again. We got to get this directed on vaccine injury. I mean, Chris, my practice, that's all I do now is I see long haulers in the vaccine injury. Wickedly complex. Most of them are disabled. Um, I am getting them better to sometimes uh, large and sometimes small degrees, but everyone I'm getting to get better and I'm learning a ton. But I mean, that is, there are so many vaccine injured out there and they're being ignored, like you said, gaslit. There are no trials, there are no therapies, there are no clinics. There's no such thing as a vaccine injury clinic, right? And so I, I do think, you know, I do, I, I do still believe in the humanity of physicians and the empathy of physicians. I think, I think they got sickened with propaganda and censorship, and I think they were victims. Um, I think they also created victims, but um, I, I do think if we can turn this around and, and, and like you, like you opened up with Chris talking about like what it was like five years ago when we could actually talk about, you know, bad stuff that pharmaceutical companies did. I mean, if we can talk about the bad stuff these vaccines are doing, I do think if we can get away from the propaganda and the censorship, we're going to get to a better place. Always. It's always been that way. Well, and this is why I'm right? so curious about the ABIM thing that you're facing right now, because to me, that's an attack on you personally, of course, and Paul Merrick and Peter McCullough and others. But it's actually an attack on science. It's, it's saying, listen, yes. there's an arbiter out there of misinformation. And, and the way they framed it, Pierre, is to say you have to prove to us that you have yep. engaged in any misinformation or we're going to, like, yank your uh, livelihood away. That's yeah. disgusting, right? Can you, I mean, I, many people don't know this, but the story of Semmelweis, who is the doctor who, who discovered that, guess what? Conducting an autopsy and then, you know, operating on a patient, maybe you should wash your hands in between. This guy was pilloried by the equivalent of the ABIM board at the time and his, his peers who didn't want anything to do with this rapscallion and his stupid ideas. And I think he died old and penniless and all that. Turned out he was right. Yeah. You should wash your hands before you go operating inside of somebody who knew right he did and, and but it's just I, it's just a, an example that i don't think anything's changed since then honestly i yeah. see the abim as operating basically like the same people who were operating against semmelweis back in the day it's just it's it's just archaic and we need more science not less you know that's what yeah. that's what i care about most because we're we got some predicaments that, on our hand here from a healthcare standpoint, but other standpoints, you know, I talk about the economy and energy, environment, all, like there's all sorts of areas demanding our very best. And if we can't even get this right, um, I, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I think we, we need to clean, clean house and, and just, I don't, how do we do that? How do we, how do we get rid of the prevailing orthodoxy of ignorance? Yeah, that's, that's the key. You know, the Simmelweis thing, I mean, that's an axiom in medicine, right? Like that Simmelweis example, it's called the Simmelweis reflex. I, I read an, an editorial some years ago in one of the journals. It was a great article. But the, the author basically gave like 10 or 15 instances of medical innovations or insights in which the person who first had that insight was absolutely attacked ridiculed, dismissed, and, 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 you know, and appeared uncredible. And then like 10 years later, like what they had been saying 10 years ago, suddenly became accepted practice and truth. And so it happens over and over again. I would hate to be so egotistical to put myself on the shelf with, with, with Simmelweis. Um, I'd put Paul there. Um, but 
you know, it, it, it does seem that that's happening again. And, and we do need to fix that. And I don't know how you sleep at night because you know all the problems in all those other fields. Man, I'm just, I'm, to, I'm terrified and tormented by what's going wrong in medicine. Um, but, mm. you know, I, I don't know. I think, Chris, all I know is that I, we, we have to, we have to, we definitely have to tear down the structures of the agencies. You cannot have one man running three agencies who works for pharma. It, it, that power has to be distributed. We, we need we need to restructure those agencies to mitigate the influence of, of, of other financial and political interests. And until we do that, we're going to be we're going to continue to be victims. Yeah, well, it has its impacts. You know, the Wall Street Journal has had this glorious article where they talked about how, for whatever reason, New York, California, Illinois are shedding, you know people mm. <laughs> they're all moving to other states and they didn't once mention that maybe it was the covid policies that that you know there were these places that were primarily uh, blue states in this story that really went overboard in terms of not following science demanding that their citizen subjects to follow these rules no matter how ridiculous we want to shut your 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 businesses down we want your kids to be masked yep. not your adults or whatever the stories were they were just all over the all over the place and the wall street journal just couldn't bring themselves to mention that maybe possibly it was these policies that had something to do with like there are certain states where they were like hey you know you're you be you you have freedoms you have your own sense of responsibility and agency you know compared to other places that people might actually value being treated like reasonable adults and and being treated um perhaps a little bit more fairly that no I, i'm still shocked that you that this is not like um completely obvious i know lots of people who moved specifically because they didn't like the policies of course around covid in those states of course you know we have a mutual friend who moved from california to texas and i remember when he was moving it was really funny the day the week that he moved there was an article about U-Haul trucks is that the U-Haul had ran out of trucks in the Western United States because the amount of in California, because the amount of people were moving to Texas, they ran out of trucks. I mean, so that's, I mean, that's a cartoonish conclusion, but I definitely think it was, I mean, if you, if uh, looking at those policies and, and the authority and the way that they, they exerted that authority and the livelihoods and lives and and let alone the coercion right there were some states which even actually tried to protect employees from coerced vaccinations i mean when we look back at this time chris and, and in order to get a job to go see a movie to go to a school you you were forced to get an experimental vaccine i mean this is one of the stains in the history of medicine and public health i mean th this is this is going to be a, it is a tragic example, but, but all of those related policies that you mentioned, I mean, it was so oppressive. I mean, if I lived in one of those States, I mean, I, I would have thought of leaving too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No question. Yeah. So, uh, well, what do you, um, as we close up here, what, what do you, what do you make of the situation right now um, in terms of, how this might play out in, in, in your own field. I mean, I know you, you've, you've decided to do what essentially, if I correct me, if I use the wrong term, I'm sorry, but it feels like a concierge doctoring yeah. where, where people have are starting to vote. Like I, I would be one of these. I'm a vote. I'm making this vote. I don't want to go back to any hospital system or system of medicine because I've judged that the system of medicine has a bunch of priorities and I'm like number eight on that list. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. Um, 
What was the question, Chris? It was what? Uh, what? I mean, what, I mean, you're you're sort of at the front end of this. I mean, it feels to me like there must be, you know, every problem creates an opportunity. The opportunity must be that there that I'm hoping that we get a parallel alternative medical system, yes. where where people can vote not by moving states but by switching systems, as it were. And, and so that's sort of what you know. That's something I've been watching and, and reading a bit of Matthias Desmond lately, and, and he talks about those parallel systems, like the. The only bulwark or the only defense against totalitarianism, that's kind of what we've talked about today, mm. is the totalitarianism of thought, right? Like that this truth is the one that you must swallow, this policy, this, that. And and the only way to defend or fight back is by building parallel systems. And Chris, your sentiment that you just said, all of the places I go, the conferences, the symposia, wherever I lecture, audience people will come up to me and say, they like beg me, where can we go? We don't want to go to the hospital. We refuse to go to the hospital. We want to go to doctors. They say like me, but I know what they mean. They, they want doctors who are free thinking, critically analyzing that are not, you know, under the thumb of a health system or a health agency or an insurance company. You know, they, they want a doctor who's going to put them as their primary priority, not number eight, right? Our oath is our patient is our primary consideration. But when you have a job and a career and a family and an agency over you and, an, and a boss, suddenly the patient is number eight on the list, right? And so I, I get it. People want that system. And I, I'll tell you this, Chris, is I, I am aware of some high net worth individuals, some of them in the healthcare uh, industry, who really are trying to build that. I think they want to build a network of clinics and maybe even a different payment or insurance model to, to free themselves from all the, the, the regulatory stuff. And so I, I do think there's enough people like you out there. I, I see them, I talk to them all the time. And I think that there's enough that those systems are gonna be built in, in, in response. And, and that's one way is instead of remaking the old one, let's make a new one and have everyone come over here, right? Yeah, um, I, but, yeah. I think it's beyond reform. There comes a time when when you either try and reform yeah. something or you just start and start it all new. Like this deck is too rotten to repair. You know, you just tear it down, put a new deck on. So um, good luck with all of that. Thank you for your time today. I, I really appreciate and of course admire everything you're doing. And um, we're going to be talking about. I think I, I think I see a book behind you over there. We'll be talking about that soon enough. I hope. Oh yeah, this book that fell over. Oh, oh yeah, what's book? that? <laughs> that's the book that i hopefully will have be submitting uh the final draft within a few weeks but it's a it, it's a book really detailing the disinformation campaign uh, against ivermectin um because i lived it i had a front row seat to it and i saw everything they did uh and i'm documenting it i don't want to sound grandiose for history but i i do feel i am responsible morally and ethically to basically tell the story of what happened. You know, what what they do when there's a generic repurposed drug that shows efficacy. You know, that's another one of the abuses of the system, right? And so anyway, that's what that book is about. And I hope people learn from it and so that we we can see it when it starts to happen next time. Because they'll they'll keep going after repurposed drugs for whatever disease you have, they will tell you it doesn't work, whether it's cancer, heart attack, stroke, whatever solutions you have, if it doesn't make them money, it's they're gonna attack it. So Anyway, that's what it was about. Well, I want to have a longer discussion about that because, of course, there were these trials that came out, and I would love to dig into those because, uh, boy, what an ugly – it's just – it's the same old story, but I think, you know, you learn something every time you unpack it. It's happening. It's still happening. I guess 
what I would leave people with at this point in time is don't think anything has changed for the better just because it's the time you happen to be alive. And, you know, that was then yeah. and people were like that once upon a time, but we're better. We're new and improved. Nothing is new under the sun. Same story as always. Yeah. Hey, Pierre, thank you so much for your time today. And um, let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. See you later. Wow. Pierre Corey, one of my favorite all-time human beings. Um, what a fantastic man. Isn't yeah. He great. Yeah. Possibly the only person with a head physically as large as mine. <laughs> I have a big head. I can't wear anybody's hats. <laughs> it's just, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. So, um, uh, but yeah, great comments, uh, everybody. Yeah. Thank you very much, everybody, for paying attention the way that you do and uh, and just saying so many meaningful, wonderful things to add to the conversation. It's really, really awesome. Yeah, Thank I think you. that that adds a lot. That adds a lot. So um, uh, Pierre mentioned something. So I, I pulled up some pieces around that quick, which was this, which is back around the Vioxx thing again, which was really dark and ugly. And again, this is back when media was maybe doing real news or something, but way back in the good old days of 2009, but this is, um, I believe, CBS out of Australia, maybe, but or it was something about Australia. So it turns out that Merck had created a hit list to either destroy, neutralize, or discredit any doctors who weren't on the Vioxx happy train. So if you were a doctor and you weren't like being a rah-rah, if they didn't consider you to be appropriately enthusiastic, um, they put you on this list to either destroy, neutralize, or discredit. And we don't know what they meant by destroy but um they made a hit list in australia or was this in the they made US? it well this uh, we'll find out i think so what it was was uh, according to testimony in a class action case in australia that's where the australian connection is the list emailed between merck employees contained doctors names with the labels neutralize neutralized or discredit next to them wow so remember they that's they crazy. they neutralized that one doctor by paying him six $60,000. <laughs> oh my God. That's such an embarrassingly cheap, cheap. That's too gaudy. What a shell. It's nasty. That's just. Mm. They say, according to the Australian uh, Merck, emails from 1999 showed company execs complaining about doctors who disliked using Vioxx. One email said, We may need to seek them out and destroy them where they live. End hmm. quote. Nothing sinister about that. Really? You and I couldn't say that. We'd be in so much trouble. I, I know. So the plaintiff's lawyer said, yeah. uh, it gives you the dark side of the use of key opinion leaders and thought leaders. If they say things you don't like to hear, you have to neutralize them. It does suggest a certain culture within the organization about how to deal with your opponents and those who disagree with you, end quote. Yes. No, we wouldn't put out better data. We'll destroy them. We'll have the... ABIM will have their will have their medical boards pull their licenses because of course we know the people on the boards and they sit on our advisory committees and they we fly them to Hawaii every so often. This is the system you're in, people. All right. So that's all I'm trying to do is is reveal that history teaches a lot. This isn't even old history. 2009, not that long ago, right? But but this is the culture that we're in, and this culture will destroy doctors will destroy other people will i don't i can't even tell you how many people who i love and admire who have been suspended off of twitter just in the past couple of weeks right jicky leaks dr lynn finn on and on and on i mean so many people i can't even like remember them all here on the spot but we see a system that is very actively minimizing 
um, nudging, neutralizing, targeting, taking them down, remove, revoking their licenses. Now, the reason that I'm able to do what I, I can do here in this business because um, because of my subscribers, because I don't have any conflicts of interest. I don't I, we don't take advertising. I don't care. You know, there's nobody's going to knock on my door and say, you better change how you talk about that stuff or your Merck dollars go away. <laughs> Full disclosure, I don't have any Merck stock. I'm so um, grateful to our tribe that you can talk about what needs talking about. Yeah. It's, it's a privilege. It really is. I mean, it's hard. But it's yeah. Good. Yeah. So um, this, these are the, this is what I live for right here, though. You know, we get quotes like this. Um, and uh, I think Jeff B. just did a, a really good job and, and represents, for anybody who's interested, this is the kind of commentary and commenting and thought that goes on over at Peak Prosperity. You see Jeff there. It says he's a peak insider. If you see that little thing right there, that means we have three different levels of, of engagement with our site. And so that Jeff's a, a big a big supporter of ours. Um, and what I love here is he says, this is going to be the very essence of chaos theory, right? So that's how we think, we, you know, that's the way I think a lot of is all around um, systems theory, chaos theory, when you understand what's happening with economy, energy, the environment, also within the medical system, our systems are failing. And there's a reason why I think they're going to fail. And so it's all about that chaos theory. And he says, what if it breaks? You mean when it breaks, not if, but when. All these complex systems cannot be gently landed and changed. It's going to break big, like going 100 miles an hour in your car and shifting it into reverse. God help us. I run a business, no debt, run it thin, work the preps. I am prepared, but have a gut feeling that all this is going to be a lot more uneven than we think, mm -hmm. euphemism there, uneven. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Some place, Sri Lanka, they're shopping in the dark right now. Hey, um, any chance, Ryan, we can pull up that, that video of the Sri Lankans? Um, mm -hmm. It's one of those, one of the videos the I teed I up. The one I sent you? Yeah. Where they're in the, yeah, the so, grocery store yeah, with so headlamps. Talk about uneven. This is how people are shopping because they don't have any energy in Sri Lanka. They ran out. They totally ran out of power, so they don't. they can't make electricity. I think they're being super civilized and behaved Seriously. about all this. How are they paying for things too? Are they as electronic as I, we are? No, they, it must be cash or something like that. Wow. So yeah, that's that's kind of uneven, right? You know, what's happening there is very different from what's happening here. So um, that's, uh, that's what Jeff was saying there. And just in case anybody is curious, um, this is what our levels of membership are at Peak Prosperity. Again, we owe everything to our, that allow us to do what we do, to be completely independent. And um, you can see there, if you just come over to peakprosperity.com slash membership, you will find out what kind of things you get at each of the different levels. And um, was very happy that uh, we had a number of people when I was at George Gammon's thing that, that immediately just signed right up. And so um, became part of the tribe. Good fit, really good overlap. Because what matters most about all this to us is the tribe. It's all about, mm -hmm. hey, being educated is one thing, right? <clears throat> so we all need to be educated about stuff. But if you don't take action based on that, well, then it's kind of useless. Education without action is kind of annoying, potentially. <laughs> uh, and that's about it. And for those who are insiders, if you like the way I think and all that, I'm putting up stuff pretty much daily now, five days a week, Monday through Friday. These are some examples where I've been talking about the strange and suspicious moves in the oil markets. I just did that today. Uh, and then looking at um, these health authority things, mostly around what some of the, what we talked with, with Pierre, but taking a, a more uncensored look at things I can really look at there, but also what's happening in Germany from a power standpoint, on and on. So lots of... Uh, 
wow, what a target-rich environment it is these days. There's too it, much to talk about. It really is. But what's wonderful, I think, about the website is that there are people there who have way more experience than either one of us put together, and they are freely, you know, sharing that with other subscribers. And yeah. so I appreciate just the beautiful sort of melting of minds that occurs there where people are, you know, putting putting their personal experiences up, sharing where they're at, what's worked, what doesn't. You can just ask questions and get really legitimate answers to just yeah. about anything. Well, it was on on this informed consent episode show just a couple episodes a couple shows ago where I said I have a bad feeling, right? Remember? Mm -hmm. You've had your own bad feeling. There's a lot of people like this is <clears throat> the vibe right now is that something's busy breaking and we don't quite know what it is. There's like a sense of waiting for that other shoe to drop, you know? Yeah, indeed. Um, and, and I do think that's why I track things as closely as I do. First, the humanitarian issue around what we were just talking about with Vioxx and, and how these companies have behaved. But that's a fractal representation of how other companies behave, right? Mm -hmm. So we probably could do a similar deep dive and find awkward things about Monsanto or Hershey's or P&G. It wouldn't matter because what we have is we have this monetary incentive and so I wrote a piece a while ago, it's called One Step Removed. And I would I, I should that drag one. that one out again because my argument there was to say, humans aren't bad. They're not evil necessarily. But if you take something and you give us one step removed separation from it, somehow that gives a lot of people all the emotional bandwidth they need to do some really awful things. And so that insight came to me when I was thinking about, I was watching um, Aaron Brockovich, which had I think Julia mm -hmm. Robertson and it's about a, a woman who was a whistleblower, PG&E, and of course, thank God she didn't die because a lot of whistleblowers don't live long, right? In mm -hmm. this story, right? Unfortunately, um, yeah. yeah. Karen Silkwood and, and the whole um, what was that? Kerwood McGee or something like that ran got Ryan off the road. Anyway, it happens. So, but this was a story about PG&E, and they, they were dumping hexavalent chromium into the water supply. They're just pumping it right into the ground, and this stuff is wildly toxic. Excuse <coughs> me. And my and insight. All sorts of stuff, right? Yeah, it just causes all kinds of like liver shutdown. It's just very toxic, kills kills you. But my insight was thinking that the engineers doing that, I don't think not one of them would have walked up with a vial of hexavalent chromium and poured it straight into a child's cereal bowl. Nobody, they're not one, because that's zero steps removed. I am physically harming this child. But put it down into the ground where it goes somewhere, and I don't know, you know. That that separation, even though logically every one of those engineers doing that, you could have they could have completely followed the logger train, which is like you're putting this stuff, which is a very long lived, very durable molecule, into the groundwater, mm -hmm. and it's going into the water table, and it's going to come out somebody's faucet at some point. Then what happens? Mm -hmm. They'd be able to connect those dots for you, but there was their job. Their supervisor told them to do it. Um, other people were doing it. Nobody was saying not to do it, so they mm -hmm. were able to do it right. Right. And the herd mentality around it, too, is like, if you speak up, you're going to lose your job, blah, blah, blah. All of that. It so, seems like a momentum to those things. Yeah. But yeah. Anyhow. So at any rate, um, we are coming up on the end of our special time here. I know you had some things that you had prepared. Sorry for I do. that whole story. I just had to get that out for some reason. The whole Vioxx story. <laughs> I think it's we'll a good one. We'll see if it even stays up. What, do you, what are your bets? Does this episode stay up? I don't know. You might be poking the bear a little bit. Maybe. too much we'll see <laughs> we'll i think see. it's important and in the future i'm looking forward to talking with you about some of these issues because i think we need to talk about pharmaceuticals we need to be having these discussions about ssris about a whole host of other medications that mm -hmm. have some serious side effects um but 
just to close it out here, I have a few things that I gathered that I think are relevant. And the reason I bring these to the table is because on one hand, we're looking at all this very serious information and data about how our world is. And I think it can be disconcerting when it lands on you to realize how much of what we've been told is complete bullshit. And, you know, the good intentions that I think we all have in our hearts as we try to live our lives, you know, watching things sort of get run over out there on the on the freeway that is life is it's challenging and i find personally that um, one of the ways that i can manage balance in my life is to bring sort of nuggets of wisdom or things that other great thinkers have said that brings it into perspective for me and so that's why i offer these things at the end of our time together um, so let us know if if you find these helpful as well um, there are a few there's one that thomas merton i don't know who knows who he is but he is a former um <laughs> a monk um trappist monk who was uh an interesting gentleman to say the least you can look him up uh he he speaks about education and he said the danger of education i have found is that it so easily confuses means with ends worse than that it quite easily forgets both and devotes itself merely to the mass production of uneducated graduates, people literally unfit for anything except to take part in an elaborate and completely artificial charade, which they and their contemporaries have conspired to call life, which I think mm. is pretty powerful. Um, and, you know, I'm bringing that one up just because we're talking about sort of these people, our, our physicians, our healthcare providers, who are very educated people most of the time that you wouldn't think are really struggling with, you know, data in that way. But, um, but I think that the way that we become educated and and the weight that we put on another person's opinions about who we are is actually, in some respects, unhealthy. Um, our sense of self is sort of not here, centered in our own bodies, but somewhere out there often and um and that has a huge influence over us honestly well it does and i think for a lot of people the identity is wrapped up in the doing so i am mm -hmm. a doctor i am a banker i am a pilot so that mm -hmm. that that's your doing that's not who you really are that's right but if you do that of course that's why they say none are so poor as those who only have money because if you wrap your identity around this thing which is just a concept it's just a mm -hmm. it's an abstract concept money is an abstract concept if you wrap it all around that, I can't imagine anything more terrorizing. Like, I have value because I'm rich. It must be a terror, terror-inducing place. So I can understand then why the motivation is do anything necessary to keep that facade right. up. Because your sense of self is the empty. absence of that would be, well, well, who am I? What am I? And and feeling mm -hmm. there's nothing under that. So yeah, I could. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Um, another one that actually I have two more that I really like. Um, <clears throat> Another one for from excuse me Thomas Merton says the world of men has forgotten the joys of solitude or excuse me silence the peace of solitude which is necessary to some extent for the fullness of human living man cannot be happy for long unless he is in contact with the spring of spiritual life which are hidden in the depths of his own soul if man is exiled constantly from his own home locked out of his spiritual solitude, he ceases to be a true person. 
I think with all the busyness and all the craziness, like I was trying to imagine what it might have been like for the people in the PG&E, like the technicians pouring that stuff into the ground, you know, this poison toxic stuff, like how could they do that? And I could imagine myself on a busy day, really tired, just like having to make another decision where I was sort of feeling burnt out and just being like, whatever, I'm, I'm just, whatever, just do it, you know? Yeah, just, that, that's that's eating the Cinnabon at the airport <laughs> after your second delayed flight. Exactly. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, just, yeah I get that. It doesn't matter. But the last one that I really like um, that I want to share with everyone is called The Messenger um, by this woman, Mary Oliver, um, that I've, she's a wonderful poet that just recently passed away. Um, her, her poem goes like this. My work is loving the world. Here are the sunflowers, there are the hummingbird, equal seekers of sweetness. Here are the quickening yeast, there are the blue plums, here are the clam deep in the speckled sand. Are my boots old? Is my coat torn? Am I no longer young and still not half perfect? Let me keep my mind on what matters, which is my work which is mostly standing still and learning to be astonished. The Phoebe, the Delphinium, the sheep in the pasture, in the pasture, which is mostly rejoicing since all ingredients are here, which is gratitude, to be given a mind and a heart and these body clothes, a mouth with which to give shouts of joy to the moth and the wren, to the sleepy dug up clam, telling them all over and over, how it is that we live forever. Mm. Lovely. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All Thanks, right. Everybody. So let's turn now. Um, thank you very much, Tab P. And uh, you're most welcome. It's great to have been here with you. And we want to thank especially DC. Thank you so much for your support here. Love the super chats. Those are very helpful. Um, love it. Thank you very much for that. SUV as well. Hey, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you everyone for coming. Um, this has been fabulous. Fret Pound, a huge thanks you to both of you. And thank you too. Um, so mm -hmm. we couldn't do it without you. It'd be meaningless. So that's it's the give and the take. Thank you so much for being here. Listen, uh, take what you will from this uh, episode and we'll find out. We'll take little pieces of it and chop it up and make it easy to find. We can always find all of this at peakprosperity.com. Come by. That's where we hang out all the time. If this channel should ever magically go away you know where to find us. We'll be at Peak Prosperity. We own the servers, so so we'll be we'll be okay. All right. <laughs> That's all I have for you today. Thank you, Evie. It's been wonderful being with you My here today. Pleasure. And uh, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Mike, being in the comments there. Thank you, Morgan and Aaron, for holding down all the rest of the ship. That's our team. See you next time. It's been great, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>